Man, that's a good song. Is that not a good song? Holy moly. Wow, that is so good. When you think about the Lord's blessings being upon you and your family and your children and their children and their children, it makes you think that you should probably follow Jesus right now, huh? It makes you think, I better get it right now so that my great-grandchildren can look back and they can say, there was a person, there was a parent, there was an individual that loved Jesus, and that's why we get to love Jesus. You know, in the ancient times, blessings were as common as hellos. You know, the Israelite culture, they would just simply, they would see each other and they would talk, and blessings to you, and blessings to you, and uh, and you, you may hear it from people, but it's not anywhere near what it once was. In fact, sometimes when I'll say to somebody, you know, hey, blessings to you, take care, and they'll be like, thanks. And, I'm re- and then I start realizing, I, I think I just did something for them. <laughs> I think I just did a thing. You know, our words have the power of life and death, right? So why not give life? reason why I even do a blessing at the end of service is because the last words that I want you to hear a blessing of love and of hope and of joy. So as we pray right now, I want you to be thinking about the blessings that God has already given you. So Heavenly Father, we're here this morning. We're gathered in person, online, around the world. People are just everywhere thinking about you. And there's been so much stuff, so much turmoil in our lives, life's just got a lot harder. And one of the easiest things to just kind of push to the side is our relationship with you, especially if we don't have accountability and we don't have people calling us out and talking to us as other believers. We just simply say, oh, no, it's okay. You don't don't need to keep that up. I mean, God understands, and we got a deal, and the reality is that's just a bunch of hogwash. The number one thing that we should be thinking about above all of this is our connection with you. That's how our connection with our family is going to be strong. Our connection with the rest of the church family is going to be strong. That's how our connection at work is going to be strong. That's how our connection with ourself is going to be strong, as if we focus entirely, primarily, on you. So I declare that for us right now, that we're going to make you first. We're going to make you first. You give us such a blessing as being a part of your family, as believers and followers of the way of Jesus Christ. So I just want to say thank you. Wow, thank you seems so small compared to what you give, but that's all I got. I say thank you, and then I say thank you with my life, my whole life. God, as we're about to hear your word, I pray that you will anoint our ears and our hearts to receive your word in a unique way today. May it challenge us and strengthen us. In the name of Jesus, we all say, amen. You may be seated. What a privilege it's been to walk through this journey, this series of uh, premiere. It's been kind of a cool thing. We've enjoyed that. And uh, we've talked about a couple of movies and some principles, and today we're kind of looking a little bit into the movie of Frozen 2 and this idea of not giving up and not giving in to what you believe to be true, right? 
And so we're going to be looking a little bit into uh, the life of Daniel. Last week we looked at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And here we're going to be looking at Daniel got a little bit older. And there was a period of time in his life where he was told, hey, you need to behave a certain way. And I'm excited to have my friend Pastor Lenny McKinney here today as he shares God's word. Can we welcome Pastor Lenny? Awesome, man. Thank you. Wow. Um, first of all, I just want to thank you guys for having my wife, Kelly, and I in. Um, we were talking this morning. This is really our first time um, in a corporate setting since March. Um, I remember when this thing was starting to happen, uh, the last message I preached, um, I was kind of joking about coronavirus at the time. Like, oh, this thing's going to pass by and make sure you socially distance. And they're like, yeah, we're not doing churches anymore the way we used to. It's like, oh, that was probably a bigger deal than I made, you know, gave it credit for. Um, but it's just awesome to be in this context. It's awesome to uh, just be able to worship. And really that last song, um, I just want to thank the, the worship band for that. Um, that was awesome. And, and Pastor Gordon, thank you for just kind of elaborating on the idea of blessing, and I felt that, you know, and, and many times as we worship, we're, we're worshiping God, and it's, it's just kind of that, that, that lateral worship that takes place, or, or that horizontal or vertical worship, and yet a lot of times we're actually singing to one another, too, and blessing each other through that, and so I just want to thank you guys for allowing us to come in today and uh, just share a little bit uh, what God's laid on my heart, and uh, one of the, the primary things we've been talking about, Pastor Gordon's kind of led through this, this concept of premiere. He's talked a lot about the idea that your extraordinary life can premiere today. And I think that's a great kind of theme that's been running through all of it. And uh, one of the things that I think of when I think of uh, just an extraordinary life premiering, I've got to go to John 10, 10. And Jesus is talking to us. And he's saying, listen, the thief comes to kill and to steal and to destroy. Uh, but I come to bring you abundant life. I come to bring you a rich and satisfying life. And a lot of times we, we take the context and we think, well, the thief is the devil, right? And, and he can be. But in the context of John chapter 10, Jesus is actually talking about people in religious positions that are there for their own authority. They're there for their own uh, benefit. And so Jesus is saying, listen, this relationship, this life that I'm, I'm telling you about um, is not about religion, Right? It's not about what you can do. It's not what about, about what you can offer. This idea of abundant life, this idea of a rich and satisfying life is about relationship with me, the author and the giver of life. And so as we look at what Jesus is telling us, he's saying, listen, I'm not, I'm not promising you this relationship with me is going to be perfect. Right? It's not promising that at all. Um, there, there's, a, uh, there's a theology out there right now that's actually dangerous. You may have heard the prosperity gospel. Right? It's the idea that if you just believe enough, and you give enough money, you're never going to have a problem again, right? Your, your health will never fail. You'll always have an abundance of finances. You'll just wish upon a star, right? It's almost kind of like its own Disney movie, right, that's created this prosperity gospel. And Jesus is saying, listen, I'm not promising you any of that. But what I am promising you in this extraordinary life, it's about relationship. It's a, it's a life, as Pastor Gordon's talked about the last few weeks, as he's looked at this idea of, okay, what does it mean that God offers extraordinary life? It's, it's peace, right? It was the first week. It's the idea that in the midst of chaos, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of some things that are changing, it seems like each day is bringing about all kinds of trials and tribulations, Jesus offers that peace that passes understanding. Right? It's not something that we have to somehow just conjure up in our lives. It's not something that is just uh, hangs on the idea of outside circumstances. It's something inside of us that Jesus offers through his presence. 
He talked about the idea that, that Jesus gives extraordinary strength, right? If you're like me, this whole thing, not a lot of fun, right? I, don't, I haven't talked to anybody. It's like, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened, right? That's, that's not happening in these conversations right now, right? It's like, man, I, I feel tired. Um, I feel frustrated. I feel somehow disconnected. Um, Kelly and I talk all the time about, you know, the good old days, you know, like back in February when things were different. Um, and so this idea of strength that comes in the midst of our own weakness. And then he talked about the idea of, of courage that Christ gives us. And, and he did such a great job of talking about this idea of strength and courage because a lot of times we think of courage, we think of strength, and we think of just like very bold people. Like if you're like me, right, I'm a dude, Braveheart, Gladiator, like some of those are my movies, right? I'm thinking, those guys are bold, man. They weren't afraid. That's not the type of boldness and courage that we're talking about that, that Jesus offers, right? We're not all called to conquer uh, a mountain or a kingdom, right? We are called to live out this boldness with great conviction. And that can be done sometimes quietly. And for our benefit, sometimes it should be lived out that way. And so, so we talk about this idea that your extraordinary life can premiere today. And, and really, that's just an invitation, right? If, if you're here or you're watching online and, and this type of relationship is foreign to you, the good news, which is literally what the gospel means, is that Jesus has done everything necessary to have that relationship with our Heavenly Father, right? That's the good news of the gospel. It says you're not defined by your past. You're not defined by your sin. Jesus is the one who paid it all on the cross. And by trusting simply in that, in his death, burial, and resurrection, that is new life. That is abundant life. That's the extraordinary life that can premiere today. Maybe you're here today and maybe you're, you're watching along and you're like, I, I've known that at some point in my life, but I feel like I've just kind of gotten off kilter. The good news is that extraordinary life can premiere today as well. Jesus knows where your heart is, and he's constantly drawing us back into that type of relationship with him. And so um, I was excited because, as, as Gordon mentioned, uh, we've had a, a pretty cool friendship over the years. And uh, he said, hey, um, I'm going out of town. Um, here's kind of the series that I'm going to be teaching on, this idea of premiere. Right? It's kind of got the summer blockbuster feel. Um, here's some of the things that I'm going to be teaching on. And uh, just casually, he's like, would you teach on you know, the 26th. I'm like, yeah, I'd love to do that. And he's like, okay, we're going through movies. He kind of goes through them, and he says, Frozen 2, can you handle that? I'm like, can I handle that, right? Because there's a little something you should know about our family. Um, we're that weird Disney family. <laughs> we, just, we just are. We're that family that, you know, wears the shirts and puts on the Mickey ears, and, and I'm, we do a really good job of budgeting our finances, but then, there, then there's like Disney, which is a parallel universe to us, right? And, and maybe some of you under, understand what I'm saying. It becomes this thing where it's like, oh, it's only going to cost us like $25,000 or something exuberant. I'm just kidding, by the way, to go to Disney, but something like that. And, and, and we're like, well, that, that seems fair, right, for like three weeks or three days at a park. It seems like we should do that, right? And so when he talked about this idea of Frozen, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's awesome. My kids are at the age right now where they're just loving everything Disney. Um, Frozen in particular, uh, my daughter who's now nine, it was her first movie, the first Frozen that came out was the first movie she went to the theater to see. So we just, we just kind of have this affinity for Frozen stuff. So when Frozen 2 came out, uh, we actually, I don't know if you guys remember this, but um, back in the day, you would actually go and you'd pull up to this giant building, right, and you'd go inside the building and they'd have popcorn and drinks and then you'd pay again like $86 to get the popcorn and the drinks. And then you'd, they'd usher you into these seats and then on this giant screen they actually play the movie. It was so weird. And uh, so that's, we actually saw Frozen 2 in the theater 
And uh, we loved it, right? Loved everything about it. And uh, so, so our, our youngest daughter now, who's two, uh, has fallen in love with Frozen. I think it's, it's pretty sweet because my oldest loved Frozen as a child, a child, a baby. And uh, now my two-year-old loves it as well. So everything Elsa, everything Anna. So I was pretty excited to, uh, to talk about that. One of the things about Disney that, that I find very fascinating um, is just some of their marketing that they do. And I think it's interesting because at one point in a conversation, I gotta believe this happened in a board meeting or a marketing team meeting, but they're sitting around and they're talking about probably their next movie, their next premiere. And in the board meeting, they're just kind of talking and somebody's like, what are, the, what are the elements that make up a good Disney movie? Right? What, what do we need to see to make sure we continue this, this magic of Disney? And so somebody chimes in, uh, it's gotta have the Disney magic, whatever that means, right? Um, it, it's gotta be marketable, somebody else would say, right? We gotta be able to, to, to sell merchandise, we gotta be able to make some money off that. The next person says, it's state-of-the-art technology. You know, we gotta continue with state-of-the-art technology and all the great Disney music. And then somewhere in marketing or a board meeting, a new guy chimes in. And I'll never, for, I'll never forgive him for this. Um, but he says something along the lines of, what if we try to make the parents cry during these Disney movies, right? This, I'm pretty sure this conversation happened, and if you're a parent, you can attest to that. So probably a decade ago, all of a sudden, Disney starts like kind of gut-punching parents who are watching these movies, right? Um, and I kid you not, this is a true story, but uh, we found out with, with my wife Kelly, of our four children, we found out she was pregnant with two of them by going to a Disney movie, okay? So we went to see Brave some years ago, and uh, you know, there's some emotional parts, and then she just starts bawling. She's crying, right? I'm like, that's really strange. I mean, it's good. <laughs> it's not that bad. Um, so it turns out, you know, she's expecting a child. I'm like, oh, that, that explains it. So a couple years later, we go see Toy Story 3. And uh, yeah, for those who've seen that, know where this is going. So we're watching it. Within the first 10 minutes, you know, she's bawling her eyes out at toys that are coming alive, right? And I'm like, you're pregnant. <laughs> I know that you are. I've seen this before. Like, I'm not, it's just such an emotional movie. And sure enough, you know, it took the test and she was. So, so this idea of making the parents cry, I think is a very Disney thing. Um, and so they tried that again with Frozen 2. And, um, and for those of you who know the story, I'm not gonna give any spoilers away, but Frozen 1, it hinges on the idea that Elsa, you know, the, the kind of the ice princess, ice queen, she grows up isolated. So she doesn't understand love because she has to be isolated. She doesn't understand reliance on others. She doesn't understand helping other people. She's, she's isolated, right? We kind of feel that today, right? We understand why that would make you kind of go crazy. And so the whole story of Frozen 1 is just kind of this, this coming together, this reconciliation between Elsa and Anna. In Frozen 2, she, she's reconciled. She's kind of doing normal family life. She's just kind of they're a good, normal family, but she feels this calling to something greater, right? She feels like there's just something out there that is calling her, and so as she goes to tackle this adventure, um, she, she can't help but try to, again, go back to just isolating herself, and this is, you know, don't come along, this is too dangerous, this is my battle, and the whole time, um, her sister Anna is trying to say, just let me help you, let me come alongside you, we're in this thing together, and, and, and the movie's just Elsa kind of trying to brush that off, and yet Elsa's friends coming alongside saying, we want to help you, we love you, we care about you, let us help you. And so this morning, we're going to tackle that, and really our big idea today is that God gives extraordinary help. God gives extraordinary help. And that's important for us today, certainly, as we think about everything just being kind of just out of rhythm, everything just being so different that sometimes 
if you're like me, you just you kind of don't know which way to go sometimes, right? Which, which foot goes in front of the other? What's, what's the direction I'm supposed to go? And so this idea that God gives extraordinary help um, is very important for us today. We are going to be in the book of Daniel, as Pastor Gordon mentioned. Um, but as we, we kind of navigate the story and as we look to just how do we draw out of here what God wants us to know, how do we apply it? There, there is one caveat I want to go into, and this is going to kind of be the overarching theme of the whole thing. This, this is kind of going to be like the spiritual lens. So as we're looking at this story, as we're reading it, I want to just keep this spiritual lens in mind. It's that God designed everything to depend on him to bring him glory. Okay, that's, that's going to be the lens that we view all of this with, that God designed everything, he created everything to depend on him, and for that reason, it's to bring him glory, okay? So we're going to tackle this together, keeping in mind that lens, keeping in mind that's how we're navigating this together. Um, so we're going to be in Daniel chapter 6, um, just to give you a little bit of background on who Daniel is and why this is important. Um, Daniel is an Israelite, and uh, he seems to have all kinds of talents, ability, he seems to have wisdom. Um, the Israelites, obviously, God's chosen people in the Old Testament, right? He's called a people to himself. He's given them the promised land. Um, they're having relationship with God. I, I will be your God, and you'll be my people. And the, and the people agree to that, and they make this covenant. And so what happens is um, God warns them. He says, listen, if, if you will honor my commands, right, and you, and you will honor this covenant that we have made, this, this agreement, almost like a marriage contract, um, then I will bless you. But, but if you stray from this and you chase after other gods and you don't remember the ways that I've helped you, the ways that I've delivered you, then, then it will not go well for you, right? Um, you will be exiled to a faraway land. And so generation after generation, we see just kind of this decay in the Israelites take place. And, and finally, God's promise comes true. They, they turned away from God. They, they committed idolatry. They served themselves. And, and, and finally, um, the entire nation is, is wiped out by opposing nations, and they're actually carried off to exile. In the first place they land is a place called Babylon, and so um, Babylon becomes the world power at the time. A guy named Nebuchadnezzar is the king, and so they carry Daniel and his friends into captivity, and so Daniel's got to be thinking, man, this is awkward, <laughs> right? Because, because I have these convictions, and I've, I've worshiped God, and now all of a sudden um, I'm given a new name, I'm given a new identity. I'm given new gods to worship. I'm given a new language. And, but Daniel proves himself so wise and so capable that Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm going to promote you. Um, you you've proven yourself with, of character and wisdom. And so I'm actually going to make you uh, kind of an administrator in Babylon. And so, so Daniel serves for some time for Nebuchadnezzar. He serves his son later. And then another world power comes in, all right? The Persians they wipe out the Babylonians, okay? So Daniel goes from having to shift into a total different culture, not just once, but twice. The same thing happens. The Persians are like, okay, now you're going to learn our language. <laughs> you're going to receive our name. You're going to honor our teachings. You're going to honor our gods. And so Daniel continues to prove that he is up to the task. He proves he has wisdom. He proves he has great conviction to the point where as the king of the Persians begins to actually establish his kingdom, his empire, he, he appoints 120 provinces, regions, and over those regions and provinces, he appoints like 120 leaders, so like governors. Over them, he, he appoints three administrators, okay? Daniel's one of them. So Daniel is one of a group of three that these governors report to, and basically he has direct access to the king. 
It says later that he, he shows himself so wise and so capable and has so much character that the king says, you know what, I don't need three administrators, I need one. It's Daniel, right? He's going to serve as just kind of the liaison between my entire empire and myself. In fact, essentially whatever Daniel decides is what we're going to go with, right? He's proven himself that wise and that capable. Well, as often happens in, in politics, I guess you could say, there's jealousy, right? These guys look at Daniel, they're like, he's not even Persian, right? He, he's, a, he's a guy that comes from a place that we conquered, or we conquered the people that conquered them, right? Why, why would he have direct access to the king? We've been serving him faithfully all these years, and so they look for a way to get Daniel out of power. And I think this is very interesting because it says they go in, they're trying to find a character flaw, Right? They're trying to go in and they're trying to say that that time he did this thing or that time he didn't exercise wisdom and the scripture tells us that they couldn't find anything. They couldn't find a character flaw. They, they couldn't find something that he had done selfishly because his conviction was so that he worshipped the God of Israel and he lived in such a way that he wanted to honor God with his life and God had given him wisdom and in return for that, Daniel lived in a way that honored God. And so it says the officials decided, well, the only way we're going to be able to trap this guy, right, is it has to do something with his God because he prays to this God all the time. He honors this God as the one true God, which is very strange. So we're going to have to figure out a way to trap him. It can't be a character issue. It can't be a wisdom issue. It's going to have to be a religious issue. It's going to have to be something that we trap him with involving his God. And so what they do is they go to the king and they say, hey, king, and this is, these are, again, weird conversations, but they're like, you know what you should do, <laughs> right? What you should do is you should create this 30-day edict, right? Because you're the king. Like, you're, you're a god. You should create something just to kind of flex a little bit, and you should make an edict across the entire empire that says, you know what, for the next 30 days, for the next month, if, if anybody worships a god other than you, then, then they, should be, they should be killed for that. And the king, right, kind of an egomaniac, is like, that sounds pretty good, right? That sounds real good, like 30 days of just worshiping me, I'm the guy. And, and so that's kind of how they trap him. So the king actually creates this edict, and he says, this is going out across the empire. It cannot be overturned, which is interesting law in their culture. This is the edict. It's going out. This is where our story picks up, Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. It says, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published... He went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or human being except you, your majesty, will be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who was one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree that you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. 
A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating, without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. All right. The trap works, right? They, they go, and they know they're going to find Daniel. He does this three times a day, right? He's turning towards Jerusalem, the holy city. He's praying three times a day. This edict comes out. What's the first thing Daniel does? He goes to God with that, right? He doesn't try to hide what's happening. He doesn't say, well, maybe, you know, I can do this in the cover of darkness, right? Or maybe I can kind of switch some things up here a little bit, or maybe I can find a loophole. It says he went to God for help, and he's praying to him. And so these, these guys come, and they find him, and they say, look, he's praying to someone other than the king. And I think it's interesting here because Daniel, the first thing he does is he goes to God with it. He didn't rely on his own wisdom. He didn't think, I got here by myself. I can figure this out by myself. He didn't try to interpret the law. He didn't try to find a loophole. He didn't try to get himself out of the situation. He didn't try to barter with the king. What's the first thing he did? He's like, God, I need you. I need you. Because Daniel's viewing his life through that spiritual lens that we talked about. God designed everything to depend on him for his glory. See, see, Daniel's looking at his life and his position through that lens. He's saying, I didn't put myself here. I didn't get myself into the situation, and I can't get myself out of the situation. This is going to have to be a holy movement of God. This is going to have to be a miracle. This is going to have to be something that just God absolutely shows up and changes my circumstance to bring himself glory. That's what's going to have to happen here. See, if I'm Daniel, um, I'm probably a little more reliant on myself. You know, I'm going to try to figure this out. Um, maybe I'm praying in these conversations like, God, show him a loophole. You know, there's got to be a T that wasn't crossed. There's got to be an I that wasn't dotted. There's got to be something. I would go and barter with the king. Please overturn this, right? I've served you faithfully all these years. I have not, I, I've shown you my character and my wisdom. And, and you can see that Darius is greatly upset by this, right? He's trying to save Daniel. Everything's sealed here. And so the question is, what happens when help doesn't arrive the way we think it should? If we're looking at life through the spiritual lens and we're praying that God moves and God saves us and God helps us, um, what happens? Because this prayer, this cry for help is not answered immediately, right? If I'm Daniel, I'm thinking, save me from even being put in this den. And yet he's put in there. It's over, right? It's game over for Daniel. At least he's got to be thinking that. You know, we found ourselves in a similar situation these past few months where um, we had to learn to cry out for God in, in, a, in a pretty amazing way. Um, for those of you who may know, uh, I served at a church for a while and uh, we, we kind of split ways. I um, won't go into all the details about that, but essentially kind of the last meeting was, um, you know, we're going to kind of part ways with you. Um, we're not going to really kind of give a runway to exit, and we're not going to give you like a severance package to go with that, and you're just, you're kind of on your own in the middle of COVID-19 with family of six. And so I look at that, and I talk to my wife, Kelly, and I say, well, we've got three days, I'm getting my final paycheck, and then there's no help coming. 
there's, there's no severance package. There's no way to kind of phase out. There's nothing that's been offered to us. And I remember having that conversation, you know, and, and obviously in the middle of COVID, places really aren't hiring <laughs> right now. Churches essentially definitely aren't. And uh, so we're looking at this situation, and the first thing I want to do is I want to crunch numbers, right? I want to go, okay, we can do this, we can cut this up. We, we don't have to go to Disney World this year, right? We can just kind of cut some of this stuff out. We can figure this out. Um, you know, is drug dealing really that bad? You know, just how can we get this money in? That sort of thing. And uh, so we have these conversations, and, uh, and, and I, I just, I finally, I'm like, I can't, I can't figure this out. I, can't, I cannot figure this out. You know, as much financing and budgeting as I do, as wise as I think I am, I can't figure this out. I can't make it line. The math will not line up. And uh, so I, I finally do what Daniel did right off the bat, and I just kind of find a prayer closet, you know, and I'm, God, you've got to help us. You've you, you got to show up because I can't do this. And, and I remember, you know, I, I would kind of get up in the mornings and, um, every once in a while, you have a five-year-old son, not every once in a while, every single night he climbs in our bed, <laughs> right? And uh, so I, I get out of bed, and I'm kind of, you know, I'm looking out my window. We have kind of a little chair set up there, and, and he's just sleeping there. He's five, he has no idea what's happening. He's five years old, and I just remember thinking, man, like, he has no clue what's happening right now. He has no clue we're like two days away from just, ugh. And uh, I just remember crying out to God, I'm like, just for my family's sake, you know, for my sake, just help. And it was interesting, because God said this to me in, in our conversation as I was praying. He said, wait, right, sound familiar, be still, I'm going to send your friends. And I was like, okay, could you also send like a winning lottery ticket <laughs> with some friends? <laughs> Just be still, wait, I'm going to send your friends. Um, one of the first people I talked to was Pastor Gordon. We were meeting at Las Penas. Do you know he likes that place? He's a pretty big fan. He goes in there, they, like, they, they pick him up, parade him around, you know? Pastor Gordon's here, right? It's, just, he gets, it's fantastic. They, he's a hero there. His picture's on the wall. It's great. <laughs> so we meet over there for lunch. And, and we're meeting about something, you know, um, like he's asking some questions about some church structure stuff, obviously with uh, community life, you know, taking off and doing some stuff. And, and we're meeting and we're ordering this amazing meal and we're kind of standing there talking, shooting the breeze. And I'm thinking, I got to tell this guy, this meeting's not going to look how he thinks it's going to look. But I got to do it in a way that transitions well, right? Because I don't want to like throw everything off balance. I don't want to make this about me because I want to help him. He wants to help me. We do that pretty well. Um, but, but we get in the situation, I'm like, how can, I, how can I smooth this out? So I'm like, hey, you know, as we're waiting for our food, I'm like, just so you know, I'm not with the church anymore. How's their guacamole here? You know, just kind of smoothing that out. And he's like, oh, okay, guacamole's good. Wait a minute, what do you mean? And so we get into this conversation and, and we come back here and we're eating um, this delicious meal together. And, um, you know, he, he totally goes into like, I'm no longer like, we're no longer collaborating on this thing. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk with you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shepherd you in some ways. And I'll never forget it. We're talking, and he goes, man, listen, like, I can be a safe place for you because your world's rocked right now. My family can be a safe place for your family. Our church family will be a safe place for you guys, just so you know. Not even sure fully what that means. And I remember that moment. I was like, okay. I started feeling what God was doing, right? He started kind of sending the cavalry in. This is what was happening. Um, 
later that week, we had some friends show up. And, and again, these are, you know, this is a pastor from another church, right? Can you believe this? Like churches working together. It's weird serving people. And uh, they show up, two families that we love, and they're like, how you doing? And boom, here's some gas cards. Here's some Aldi cards, right? Just to get you through. We had a friend of ours prepare this amazing video where she Facebook stalked a ton of people, right? And she's getting pictures and stories, and some of you may know who I'm talking about. She's great at doing this stuff. And she premieres this video looking at the last, like, 12 years of our lives and our ministries. It's people we haven't talked to in a decade. It's stories we'd almost forgotten about. It's pictures. We're sobbing uncontrollably, right? I'm like, are you pregnant? Like, what's happening? Now, am I pregnant? What's happening here with this? Is we're just absolutely just remembering what God has done and looking to the future of what God was going to do. Um, and then we started having just random things show up. Hey, can I pay a utility bill? We had other churches reaching out to us. How can we help? And it was interesting for me because I am a red-blooded American male, right? Remember the whole Braveheart gladiator thing? People would call me, and they'd be like, hey, can we help you? And my, my response, my built-in response is, no, I don't need, I don't, how can I help you, right? Because I, I don't need any help, right? And it was so humbling, and God was pressing this in my heart. I'm like, actually, yeah, we, we need help. We need help. Um, how can we pray for you? Man, you can pray for these things. How can we support you financially? Man, my house payment's coming up and I got no income coming in. Okay, we got you. All right. Um, how, how can we bless you in these ways? And I can tell you, as we cried out to God and as he said, be still, the peace that came over us from that, I'm sending your friends. We had finances come in. We had encouragement come in. We had more finances come in from people's goodwill than I would have gotten from a paycheck for a month, right? Absolutely mind-blowing. See, the mistake I wanted to make was somehow thinking I didn't need help, right? The mistake that I was trying to make was that I, I pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm a self-made man, right? And God was like, I know you're not. <laughs> put the lens on. Look around you. I'm the one who created the cosmos. I put the stars and, and the galaxies in place just to declare my majesty, right? The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. I just put that out there to bring me glory. And you know what? The entire cosmos that you look at, it depends on me to exist. And you know the things that make up your life, protons, neutrons, electrons, all those little things that you can't see that make up human life, guess what? They depend on me. That next breath that you're taking, with or without a mask on, right, depends on me. Your very life depends on me. All of creation is held together in my hands because I'm sovereign and I'm good and I love you. Guys, that changed something to me. It changed something in our family. In that moment, man, I felt like Daniel. The good thing is, Daniel's story doesn't end. And I'm glad it doesn't. Because if this story would have ended badly, Nicole, there would have been some tough Sunday school lessons from this one, right? Can you imagine telling our kids this? He's in the lion's den and they destroyed him. Next story. <laughs> Not one we would really tell, but here's what happened. Daniel in the lion's den. This is verse 19, Daniel chapter 6. This finishes out the story. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. 
When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him, get this, because he had trusted in his God. That was the difference. No amount of planning, no amount of wisdom, no amount of scheming, no no amount of power was going to save him because he had trusted in his God. And I read this story, and I was going through it again. And, you know, if you, if you grew up in the church like I did, you've heard this story like 40 times, and you've colored, you know, the coloring pages, and you've talked about it. And for some reason, at least in the church I grew up in, um, the, the lions were always just kind of like, it was weird, like, you know, go to sleep, and they're always sleeping. You know, it's almost like they're spooning Daniel. <laughs> right? So it's magic. Like, what happened here? It's like Lion King, you know, just to get another Disney movie in there. And, uh, and, uh, but the way I read this is, is Daniel seems to be indicating that the angel God had sent shut the mouths of the lions. Um, I've been to Africa um, on a safari, right? Thankfully, we made it back alive. But, but they were talking about how the lions hunt, right? It's relentless. It's nonstop. Because they can go a long time without eating. So when they find something to devour, the pack comes. And it's relentless until they tear whatever they want to apart. So I don't read this as like the lion's just kind of, eh, it's okay. He's cool, right? I don't, I don't think the, the angel sang a lullaby. Man, I envision when he says he shut the mouth of lions, I envision all night this angel of God keeping the enemy at bay. If it goes to attack, it's at bay. God is aggressively protecting his servant here. And I believe God works in the same way for us today. See, God isn't some passive old dude in the sky with a beard. God isn't up there with a lightning bolt ready to strike. God is not a religion. God is not dead. God's not asleep. He's alive and he's active and he's aggressive in our defense. Guys, when we don't look at our lives and and God's sovereignty through this lens of dependence, you know what we start to do? It was what my temptation was. It's we start to become self-reliant. We we actually become self-righteous in many ways, right? we, we What we actually do ultimately at our worst is when we say I can save myself or I don't need God's help or I can somehow make myself righteous, or I can somehow do these things myself, what we actually do is we take God's majesty and we lower it and we begin to elevate ourselves. You know what that's called? That's idolatry. We actually begin to worship ourselves above God. We begin to to idolize ourselves and our wisdom and our prestige and and, and ingenuity and all the things, and we actually begin to worship ourselves above God. When we don't trust God for help, and we commit idolatry, it's one of two things. Either we're saying, I don't need you, 
I got this. Or we're saying, I don't believe you. It's one of two things, right? I don't need you, or I don't believe you. I experienced this. This is probably why I went through this. Like God knew, Gordon's going to ask you to come preach. I'm going to just rock your entire world. You're going to have the greatest sermon illustration ever. <laughs> right? It's going to take a couple months to get there. Guys, I experienced this. This isn't, this isn't words on, on a page that are dead. Uh, this is alive. Right? This story of Daniel is, is our story. Right? Uh, the same Holy Spirit who inspired Scripture is the same. If you know Christ today, the same Holy Spirit that inspired Scripture is the same Holy Spirit in you. The same Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, Scripture tells you, is the same Holy Spirit in you, okay? That is our source of help. That is our source of need. And when we begin to, to idolize ourselves, we don't recognize God's sovereignty in creation. It has to be through a spiritual lens. So let's briefly talk about some next steps. Okay, we had the big idea. God gives extraordinary help. Now what? What do we do with that? The first one, simply ask, your, ask yourself a question, what areas of your life do you need help right now? Right? Um, don't minimize this. Right? Scripture says, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Right? Don't minimize it. What, what areas of your life do you need help right now? And then with that, the next step then is ask God as a help. And, and look, I want us to reframe this kind of through this lens. Ask God for help as a way to what? Worship him. What, what we're doing when we recognize God's sovereignty, what we're doing when we recognize the fact that, that, that God designed everything to rely on him, we're just giving truth back to who God is. Guys, that's worship, right? It's giving worth to God. It's saying, I'm going I'm to tell the truth about who you are. I'm going to pray the truth about who you are. I'm going I'm to come together with my church family. We're going to sing, and we're going to worship you for who you are. That's, that's worship. So let's not miss that opportunity to ask for help in a way that worships God. The next step then, either ask for or offer help to others in order, listen to this, to obey Christ. What do you mean obey Jesus? Galatians 6.2. Bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. Jesus said, a new command I give you, that you love one another. That's a command from Jesus. So if you find yourself today in these unprecedented times and you're, you feel like you're drowning, man, go to the one who knows you. Go to the one who loves you. Go to the one who, who, who we rely on and worship. And if you need help, go to your friends, go to your family, go to your church family, go to those and say, listen, I need help. I can't do this. And honor Jesus in that way. If you're in a place right now where you can see someone or someone comes to you and, 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 and you can offer help, do it. Don't be afraid. Fulfill the law of Christ. This command I give you, love one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. When we ask God for help, we're worshiping him because he's able, you're sovereign, you're good, and I'm incapable. And when we go to one another, we're fulfilling the law of love that Jesus commanded us to do. So as we think about that today, and as we continue singing together, let's just, let's wrestle with this. Let's let God's spirit just wrestle with our hearts and our minds 
so that we can really take hold of this and live it out. Well, let's give the Lord a hand clap, can we? Thank you, Pastor Lenny, for sharing. Can we hear for Pastor Lenny? Man, you and Kelly are such a blessing to so many people. Hear that, receive it, and believe it in Jesus' name. Now, receive the blessing of the Lord as we head out here right now. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face toward you and give you peace. Now go and be the church.